Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, Georgia State University has a grant to support intersectional studies. And next week, the focus will center on intersectionality in the American South. And you're probably saying, what's it all about? Well, we'll find out when we ask Professor Lakita Barnett-Bailey. She's an associate professor of Africana Studies when she joins the program. And a little bit later, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? That my little record jump is cool, but it don't mean nothing until you do it multiple times. Babyface told me that when I met him. He said, you know. Oh, you the guy with the little jump record. <laughs> Wait till you hear the rest of the story. As we do every member drive, the Closer Look archives, well, we open it up, and today it's the journey of record executive, music producer, and artist Jermaine Dupree. All that's coming up, but first, a quick check of these headlines. Thousands of Georgians using the WIC program could benefit from a federal supplement expansion that helps low-income women get baby formula, as we hear from Alex Helmick. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is again extending a financial supplement to states to allow residents on the WIC program to buy non-contract baby formula. Last year and into this year, there was a shortage of baby formula due in large part to supply chain issues. Under the WIC program, only some formulas were allowed, but to help give low-income people on WIC more options during the scarcity, the federal government allowed them to buy more brands of formula not previously accepted if the approved ones weren't available. The feds then reimbursed for those expanded items to the state. The latest expansion expires at the end of the year. Alex Helmick, WAB News. A revamped Wells Fargo branch in Stone Mountain is now a resource for people without mainstream bank accounts and those who use costly check cashing services. Well, this Wells Fargo now includes the Hope Inside Center, which will, which will provide counseling on financial literacy and ways to increase credit scores and reduce debt. DeKalb County Commissioner Steve Bradshaw believes the program will help communities of color reduce that wealth gap. This is about exposing our communities to the same opportunities to access financial capital and financial markets that our brothers and sisters of other races have been experiencing their whole lives. At least 100 Wells Fargo branches are expected to take part in the effort to remove financial barriers within underserved communities. Former employees of Atlanta's East Point Amazon Fulfillment Center, well, they're suing the online retail giant for what they cite as unfair labor practices. Emily Wu Pearson has more from Wednesday's rally. Between shifts in front of the East Point Amazon warehouse, more than 50 Amazon employees and community members delivered a message. I want to let Amazon know we are not backing down at all. 
just fight to the bitter end. That's Karen M. Tucker. She's one of the workers of ATL6 who's speaking up in support of two employees who say they were wrongly terminated and are filing complaints with the National Labor Relations Board. Brandon Calloway filed one of those complaints. He said Amazon managers were inflexible when he needed to pick up his son from childcare. He also struggled to get time off for frequent doctor's appointments to follow up on a kidney transplant. I shouldn't have to worry about losing my job because of my disability or having to take care of my family. Yeah. Employees are also asking for a raise of at least $5 an hour to keep pace with inflation and match record company profits. Another issue is working conditions, as employees say they do not have enough working bathrooms. Emily Wu Pearson, WABE News. Now an Amazon spokesperson tells WABE the company doesn't believe there's any merit to the claims filed with the NLRB. Amazon went on to say that the former employee who filed those claims was fired for an egregious safety violation. And the company's investing a billion dollars over the next year to raise hourly pay. It's these type of community issues, these type of covers, that's what you get not only from Closer Look, but especially from our WABE newsroom. Hello, everyone. In case you don't know, we are in our fall member drive. And listen, here's what we say all the time. Do what you can, right? That's what my grandfather would say. Do what you can. Make it do what it do. <laughs> Gail O'Neill's with me. Gail, you know I often drop these gems from my father. You know that, right? I my grandfather. wish I knew your grandfather. I wish I knew your grandfather. <laughs> I loved his saying. Yes. All right. So here's how it works for everybody who doesn't understand what grandpa was saying. A few members of our major giving society here at WABE called Cornerstone members have given us $5,000 to match with your donations right now. So if you give $10 a month, it'll be matched for the first year. Or if you give $50, they'll match it with $50. Best of all, your donation powers all of the reasons you value Closer Look. So please take a moment, give right now during this match at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Can I ask a question, Rose? Sure. I'm just wondering, you know, if Liz Truss could uh, abdicate her post in 45 days, maybe we could set a record here today and have somebody just give $5,000 in the next 45 minutes. That would be a record for WABE, wouldn't it? That would be a record. And I got to admit, I had no idea where you were going when you mentioned Liz Truss. I was like, okay, <laughs> we don't get no money now. <laughs> Gail talking about. Yeah. Yes. So let's let's set our own record right here at WABE, calling all people who have $5,000 to spare and who value what Rose gives every day. Let's try to do this in the next 45 minutes. My name is Gabrielle, and I am from East Point, Georgia. I feel like on television, on the news, it's a lot of noise and a lot of people just talking and not really saying anything. And on WABE, I feel like the conversations that are had are at a higher level. My favorite show to listen to on WABE is Closer Look. I really enjoy the topics that they discuss. But the things that I really appreciate is that they really go into really specific detail in the day-to-day, behind-the-scenes things that are happening in Atlanta that nobody else is talking about. Conversations at a higher level. Thank you so much, Gabrielle of East Point. You know, she sees the value in the great conversations that you find on WABE and, of course, on programs like this, Closer Look, and, of course, City Lights. Now, when you give a few dollars right now, you're helping to fund these amazing programs. So please take a few moments to do so now at WABE.org slash donate or the old-fashioned way with a call to 678-553-9090. And thank you. How about starting your membership with a sustaining gift of $10 a month? 
that $10 will help pay for every reason you listen to 90.1. That shows you like, like Morning Edition and Closer Look that tell powerful, fact-filled stories every day. And your sustaining gift helps us to continue to amplify the voices of Atlanta long after this funding drive is over. The amount you give really is up to you. You know what you can afford. Plus, every WABE monthly donor automatically a, receives a gift from us, the PBS streaming service Passport. We rely heavily on Atlanta for support, not only on subsidies or state funding. In fact, nearly 90% of our funding comes from right here in Metro Atlanta. That's listeners just like you. So please give as generously as you can at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. For decades, WABE has thanked listeners with gifts just for you. Now we've got a gift just for your pet. It's the never before offered pet bandana. It features the WABE logo and comes in red, blue, or yellow. Yours with a gift of just $5 a month or a one-time gift of $60. And with your monthly donation, you'll automatically receive an added gift, the PBS streaming service Passport. Facts matter, and so too does your support of WABE. Please take a moment to make your gift now at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. By the way, that pet bandana is pretty, pretty cool looking. It's yellow with the black W-A-B-E letters. So get that for the family pooch. You know, when we talk about making a month or cat or ferret or pot belly pig or whatever else y'all got around there in my neighborhood. And I think my neighbor has a goat. And if you can get the bandana around the goat, more power to you. We talk about making a monthly gift a lot. And it really does help us map out our plans for the future. It really, really does. And it's easier for many listeners to give a bit each month. That's what we call sustainers. And we understand if you feel that's something you can't afford or cannot afford to do, that's okay too. Still, you should know that we welcome gifts in any amount. It's easy. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. And as always, we say thank you. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at Richmond.edu. That's R I C H M O N T.edu. From WABE in Atlanta, Closer Look continues. I'm Rose Scott. You know, new initiatives and projects are always nice and even nicer when they're funded. Well, Georgia State University received a grant from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation that will support a three-and-a-year-half project. Now, it's to support programming centered around intersectional studies. And if you're wondering what that is, just hang with me because we're going to talk about that in a moment. And next week, there will be a gathering to discuss intersectionality in the American South. 
So you're saying, okay, Rose, let's talk about this. What is all this? What's all this about? Well, let's welcome from Georgia State University, Associate Professor of Africana Studies, Lakita Bonnet Bailey. Professor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I have a text from someone that says, what is intersectional studies? So I don't even have to answer because you you knew this was coming. Yes. Define that for our listeners. Um, intersectionality um, and intersectional studies is basically looking at the various ways our identity, our um, influence how we are perceived. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that we, you know, face the world with one dominant identity, and that has been the idea. Du Bois talked about this double consciousness. But intersectionality, you know, coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, Mm -hmm. talks about the fact that we have various identities. So our race, our class, our gender, all those things impact how we are perceived in the world and how we experience life in society. And when Kimberly Crenshaw coined this, I think back in 89 or 88, something like that, and I, and I remember reading all this, these different, you know, I, I love academics. Boy, y'all get to writing. Yes. <laughs> and there were some folks that said, well, this, has been a, this is nothing new. It just has now a name from it. And, and also when you talk about the inter- intersectionality of all these other different, different identities and, and people then say, well, okay, what do we use this for? Mm-hmm. How will this be used in a place of institution of higher learning? And then you tell them what? I will tell them that it is used to understand that there are um, these various identities that impact what we experience in life. Um, But also to always consider that it's not just one dominant um, identity, especially in a place like the United States, where we're often talking about the differences with race Mm -hmm. as being a dominant identity. But what people, as you said, Kimberly Crenshaw coined this, but it was people like Sojourner Truth Mm -hmm. and her uh, Aren't I a Woman. And of course, Anna Julie Cooper was the first person to talk about these intersection identities. And then later, the Combahee River Collective came up and talked about how sexuality, how race, race, how gender, how class, all of these affect how we experience life, but they also affect um, how we are perceived and the various uh, marginalizations that we experience in the United States. And here come the emails. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to hold the off on those for a second. Y'all just be so busy. I can't even get into the conversation. But GSU, along with other institutions, y'all received this mailing grant, and it's to support intersectional studies. Yes. So this is a, a collaborative that is nationwide. There are, I think, five other institutions, correct? Yes, cor- that's correct. Um, it's six total um, institutions. We saw us call ourselves the collective, mm-hmm. so the intersectional collective. And some of those institutions include the uh, NYU University, University of Illinois, um, Urbana-Champaign. Then we have uh, UVA, mm-hmm. University of Virginia, and we have, uh, I'm blinking on the names. It doesn't matter. Here. We're going to talk about George State anyway. Yes, so, okay. University <laughs> of Southern California is another one, yes. <laughs> so with y'all got like a half million dollars for this. Is it for programming, basically, or is it also will you use it to maybe bring students into some what exactly will y'all use this half million for? Yes, all, all of that. So okay. we're going to put on programming for the next three and a half years. We already have students, um, graduate students that are assisting us that we were able to hire from the grant through um, to work as GRAs. And they help us with our website. They help us with promotions. They'll be working with us um, every semester. We will have a lecture or panel series. And our first one is coming up on um, next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then we will also, um, next year, next summer, actually, we'll be... We will be hosting the 
Intersectional Collective Institute, where all of the other five universities will come to Georgia State, experience Atlanta for two days, and they w- and we will host them and tell them about the things that we are doing and how we have gotcha. worked thus far. So let's talk about what's coming up next week because this is and I and someone I just got a text from someone intersectionality in the American South. Yes. Rose, ask her, what does that mean? I'm like, are you listening? Y'all listen. Just listen (laughs) before you start sending me stuff. It was like being a teacher. Yes. And so a lot of times when we think about intersectionality, um, one aspect, what intersectionality is, is to look at these various identities. And one aspect of our identity is to what it's like to be a Southerner. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to focus on intersectionality in the South um, because there hasn't been this emphasis to look specifically at the South and the fact that regionalism plays in our identity as well. Uh Absolutely. So now I, I don't even have to look at my questions, but I know someone listening says, well, let's back up, Professor. What are these unique assessments that you all are going to talk about that you all be able to educate people when you talk about intersectionality in the American South? Can we take it a little bit deeper then? Are we looking at women, black women? We're looking at all of them. We're looking at um, women. We're looking at black women. We're looking at indigenous populations. We're looking at um, Latinx populations. We're looking at LGBTQI populations and the various ways in which their identities have created mm-hmm. um, a, a certain experience for them. And so we'll be looking at all of those different aspects. You all have a conversation com- coming up, and you're going to focus, though, a little bit on black feminism, correct? Yes, we're focusing on black feminism, but we're we're focusing on black feminism, and we're focusing on feminism in the South, as well as this term that was coined by Joan Morgan, who were one of the people we're talking to, this idea of hip-hop feminism. Really? Yes. Oh, now you got me. <laughs> Let's talk about hip-hop feminism. Yes. Well, hip-hop feminism, as described by Joan Morgan, is this complex um, type of feminism. It's this idea that you can be a hip-hop head, you can enjoy hip-hop, but you can still be critical of the genre to see the various ways in which sexism and misogyny are presented in hip-hop. And so be able to critique it, but also be one that still loves the genre. I've been doing this since I was 13. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what it was. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right, so I got to ask you, so then let's just focus on hip-hop for a second. Mm -hmm. Give me your top MCs. Oh, um, definitely. So I, I am a hip hop scholar. My research is I on hip hop. I know. Yes. So I, my, one of my top is Andre 3000 from Atlanta. Okay. I am a big supporter. Um, Kendrick Lamar. Okay. I will say um, Nas is another one of those type, a top people in there. And I strictly love lyricism. Now yeah. I um, am engaged and, and really like Toby Nguigwe. Okay. And um, and then I will also say Rhapsody. Okay, I like Rhapsody. Now, I'm, yes. I'm a little bit, I'm going to go back, and, and folks have been asking me, Rose, in no particular order, but mm-hmm. this is just me. Um, okay, so, Rakim. Yes. Nas. Yes. MC Light. Yes. Folks going folks gonna to kill me when I say this. Jay-Z. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I'm torn with, with these other three. Mm-hmm. KRS-One. Mm-hmm. Chuck D. Yes. You know, yes, and, and uh, LL's my man, yeah, because you know, LL for me, I like I could play LL around my dad, yes, yes, I couldn't play NWA, around my dad. <laughs> exactly, yes, <laughs> you know, but and then you know, Chuck D for me and Public Enemy. So, you know, when you think about today's hip hop, and is it unfair to criticize some of the women for not being or not carrying the quote black feminism mantle? 
Cardi B, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Meg, yes. you know, Nikki. Is that fair? It, it is fair. Because to the, some will say, but they are. Yes. Because they're doing it their way and they're saying what they want to say and either you don't like it or not. I think what's unique with artists like Cardi B and a Megan Thee Stallion and the other popular artists at this time is that they embrace feminism. By the way, I got a text. No ATL rappers. We just... I said I Dre 3000. But I didn't. So, oh, okay, but yes. Dre is in there. Stop texting. Put my phone over there. Yes. Uh, but, 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 but going back but to I the But I think ladies. a lot of the, um, the recent artists that you mentioned, they are embracing the term feminism, mm-hmm. which at the time when Joan Morgan wrote her book, When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost, yeah. they did not embrace feminism. A lot of the artists that we're talking about, MC Light, a Queen Latifah, Salt and Pepper, they did not embrace, embrace Gr- the term. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Feminism. And so I think that's a shift, right? And one thing Jordan Morgan talks about is how creating the term hip hop feminism for hip hop, it broke barriers and allowed people to come in and say that, okay, I am this type of feminist. I don't have to subscribe to these other aspects of feminism. So does intersectionality also weave its way in then you're saying into hip hop as well? Yeah. Oh yes. We talk about black feminism. Yes, definitely. And that's, and that's what we're talking about with the hip hop feminism and the focus on it. You know, we're bringing in um, Dr. Regina Bradley, who's mm-hmm. at Kennesaw university and she focuses on Southern hip hop. Mm-hmm. And so we're bringing in both that South aspect. And we're also bringing in this ideology of how, women um, interact with hip hop and so when you think about people like Meg Thee Stallion who I truly love and you think about the way that she's not only talking about things that are sexually liberating um, for women but she also has been campaigning for things like justice for um, Breonna Taylor Mm -hmm. you know she did a New York Times thing where she was talking about how women are not protected and specifically how women of color are not protected Mm -hmm. so all of these are examples of feminism and these women have embrace the title of feminism, which before was something that hip-hop artists, hip-hop um, femcs did not embrace. Let me let me ask you this. The City Girls. Yes. I cannot, now, because yes. I'm Auntie Rose, I cannot listen to them two sisters, but I know that my nieces and nephews love them. Yes. But <laughs> not for Auntie Rose. Are they part of this too? Or is it really, is it just too much criticism because they are women who are saying these things mm-hmm. We were used to the fellas saying this, and some women too, let me be clear, yes. but you know, we're talking about women. So is it just because folks don't like it because they say it's 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 raunchy or, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm, I'm old. Do they still say ratchet? I don't know. Yes, they still say ratchet. <laughs> and yes, I do believe it's part of it. And, and that's the interesting thing about intersectionality, right? Because it takes you from the position you're in to, to understand how all of these different ideas if, um, impact who you are. And so with the city girls, yes, it can be seen a little raunchy, but they're also characterized as sexual liberating at a time, especially when black women had to, when we're dealing with respectability politics, black women had to hold themselves a certain way Mm -hmm. with this idea that that would make us respected. And so we couldn't talk openly about our sexuality or our interests and things like that. And city girls is doing that. Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion with WAP is doing that. So well, okay, examples. now. <laughs> <Yes>. <clears throat> Public radio. Oh but, yes, uh, yes. No, uh, WAP was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was definitely interesting. And and, and let's and, talk about. Let's get back. To <laughs> Do we need any pledges coming in? <laughs> Let's get back to the because I, I this is part of the the inter, inter, intersectional studies. How then do you take something like what you don't talk about mm-hmm. and then 
and not to say that there's no value to it, but then what do you do? What are you hoping students, the community, what, what people get out of studying mm-hmm. something like this, the intersectionality of black feminism in the South or hip hop? How does it make, does it, is it designed to make someone a better thinker or have a different way of thinking? Yes. Um, to be a better thinker, to have a different way of thinking, and to understand that there is no one dominant ideology or one dominant identity that makes a person um, who they are. And so, you know, what we hope is that people start to look through an intersectional lens when they are thinking about things such as policy, when they're thinking about politicians, when they're thinking about, the, you know, the type of um, education they receive, all of these things intersectionality impacts. But if you think through an intersectional lens, then you can look at some of the things that are occurring in our nation and think about the various ways in which identity has enforced or um, um, illuminated some of those things. What's next for you all after this presentation? What's the next? So we have this presentation this semester. Next semester, we have um, a panel. We're going to have a panel discussion. And then we'll have the intersectional um, collective in the summer. And then following that, immediately following the intersectional collection, like over the past the weekend, two days later, we're having um, a pedagogy conference where mm. we're going to teach people how to use intersectionality in their classes and hope that it is team efforts with various disciplines interacting. All right. Now, don't don't get banned because, you know, folk hear some words and they start. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's. Yes. It becomes legislation. Yes, exactly. And one thing that... I'm just keeping it real. (laughs) I I completely understand. One thing Kimberly um, Crenshaw, who is known for coining intersectionality, is currently doing is she's talking about critical race theory because she was also one of the founders of that. I didn't even say CRT. There you go. Now we all going to be banned. Uh, (laughs) From Georgia State University, Associate Professor of Africana Studies, Lakita Bonnet Bailey. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to that forum. I'll be there in the front row. Great. Thank you for having us. Taking notes. Yes, it's going to be phenomenal. Thank you. Don't sing WAP. No. (laughs) We might talk about it, though. (laughs) Yes. Conversations that we hope enlighten you. You're listening to Closer Look. I am Rose Scott, and I'm joined by Gail O'Neill to tell you more about this Cornerstone match. Gail, I could see you through the camera there. You You were listening, taking notes. Peaches, you know how I feel about stop a lot calling of me, Stop calling the, me peaches. The materialism, <laughs> the hypersexuality, the hypermasculinity. Let me save my lectures and get back to the cornerstone match. <laughs> it works like this. If we can get you to give, let's say, $75, members of our cornerstone society will match it with their $75. And that's only for right now in the, in, within this hour. We can match all incoming donations in any amount until we get to our $5,000 benchmark. And we'd love to match your gift. This is for anyone who donates right now in any way, a single gift, a monthly gift, even if you already are a major donor, a cornerstone donor at about $3 a day, your gift will be matched. Log on to wabe.org slash donate or call us at 678-553-99. Hey, it's Tamara Keith from the NPR politics team. I know it's been a kind of busy year. Russia has begun an invasion. James Webb Space Telescope. Supreme Court has overturned. Okay, very busy. January 6th. The Winter Olympic Games. Killed Al-Qaeda leader. And now it's time for the midterm elections. You rely on NPR and this station to stay on top of it all. And we can only do it with your support. Here's how to give. 
It's easy. WABE.org slash donate or the old-fashioned way, 678-553-9090. Think about this. When it mattered and when you really need to know what was going on, you know what? I know you turn to WABE. Why? Because with broadcasts from the BBC, NPR, and, of course, the WABE newsroom, we've got you covered. And so now we're taking the time to ask you to cover us. Please, we know somewhere deep down you've always wanted to give, so why not do it now? WABE.org slash donate or with a call 678-553-9090. And as always, we say thank you. While you were in conversation, Rose, five people did call in. Jill from Atlanta, Salah from Atlanta, Anonymous from Ackworth, Anonymous from Cumming, and Robert from Alpharetta. Thank you all so much. Your monthly donation to WABE really is the best way to support us here. And if you don't give it as a lump sum, but even as a little bit consistently from month to month, it all adds up. Please just do it now at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. And thank you. Closer Look continues from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. So many do- so many bops and from veteran music executive producer, artist himself, Jermaine Dupree. Let's listen. Atlanta has been home for Jermaine Dupree's record label, So So Deaf, for decades. Matter of fact, it used to be right next door to this station. Can you believe that? And, of course, he's responsible for a sound that helped propel a fusion of hip-hop and R&B. So from our conversation in front of a live audience from a few years ago, as he celebrated 25 years of So So Deaf records, Jermaine Dupree on his journey. Let me ask you this, because as we talk about 25 years of, of So So Deaf. Man, you think back, Jermaine, it's been, been that long. What goes through your mind in terms of that journey? Everything that's happened, any regrets at all? I want to start with that. Um, Just the fact that um, I, I think the, the, the fact that it never hit me that it was happening is a blessing in disguise. Yeah? Yeah, because I feel like when you're, when you're a lot of times when you're trying to do something or you're trying to break somebody's record or you, you're so focused on it, it doesn't happen, right? But this this career and the years and all of this, it 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 happened. It wasn't like a, it was never a moment where I was down, like, oh, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that I wasn't pressed and I wasn't looking for it to happen, it just happened. You were so young. As we say, you were so young when you got into this business, but did you even know before, even when you were 12 years old and you were immersed in this music industry, did you know that was your calling? Could you feel it then? No. Um, no. You know, because I was dancing, and as a dancer, 
I mean, you know, um, I thought dancing was the world. I thought I thought I was gonna go and I was gonna be on Fame. I thought I was great. <laughs> I, I thought I was gonna be like you know one of the guys on Fame. I I, I had an idea to, to do, you know, I wanted to be Shabadoo and Turbo uh, breaking, and it's like my mind was in that space. Yeah, and then I started seeing. Oh, I think you should probably tr- start transitioning. But it wasn't like I did it to not get stuck. It was mm-hmm. just part of life where it was just like, you know, this is hip-hop and this is what hip-hop has to offer. I even started drawing at one point in time, and I started drawing so much. I started doing so much graffiti because I was so um, addicted to it that um, I went to... Um, Atlanta art school mm-hmm. in the summertime. It took art classes and everything. Like I was so deep into art and I was drawing and all of this. And then that just disappeared one day, but I was so into it. Like going, like I said, I went to Atlanta art school. You hear T-Boss saying that clip that you had a special, had a special sound and a vibe. How do you describe that sound and that vibe back then? Young. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's just, it's just young fearlessness when you met chris and chris soon to be crisscross you knew that they fit what so so death was about back then no they weren't even on so so death they were you know they was the beginning of me trying to figure out what so so death was but um so no i didn't even have an idea what that was when i found chris and chris really yeah did that did their success catch you off guard a little bit because it came so quickly for them no not no really I, i knew I knew I had seen them in front of people enough to know that if they had a hit record, it was going to be what it was. Did you know Jump was a hit when you wrote it? Yeah. How you know? How'd you I, know? I knew it. It's I innate? Just, I just knew it. Yeah. yeah. Do you have that same feeling when you can recognize an artist who may be unknown at that time, but can you, is that the same feeling you know when you meet an artist, this person or this group has it? Sometimes, yeah. It just depends on, you know, what it is and, you know, um, the people that's watching. You know, people watch artists differently. Um, If you watch somebody watching an artist and then you watch whatever that artist did to make that person that's watching them um, get that reaction. That's that's the person I am. I'm watching all of this. So you look for the reaction from somebody else about the artist. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times artists don't really understand. Like if they do like a showcase or something and they, you know, and they want me to check them out. Um, I'm looking at the fans. I'm looking at not the fans, but the audience. I'm looking at the audience to see if you actually are making them do something because if not that then that's where the trouble lies you know um if you're not looking at these people in their eyes while you're talking to them or 
Like I'm talking to you If you're not looking them In their eyes And you like this And you're doing an interview Like this Or you rapping like this <laughs> And I see all of that And then I start realizing How much harder My job is gonna be What was it about Brat That you knew? Um, She was just She was in my face Like this <laughs> Like You know She was so in my face And she was like And you could hear the talent You know She had she had a spunk that at the time when females that when she came to me it wasn't that that wasn't I wasn't getting that spunk from female rappers. Mm-hmm. Jermaine, that being the case, and I know you've been talking about this the last few days. Do you think then part of that is what's missing with the, with this latest brush up about your comments about today's female rappers? Are they lost on the fact that you know what works for you? And you know what, what, what you like when it comes to a rapper, whether it's female or male, whatever. Is that being lost a little bit? Is a, is a criticism unfair? I think, first of all, what's being lost is the fact that I didn't say all females, right? True. That's, that's the first part that's being put in my mouth. I mean, pause, but that's the part that's like, I never said that. Like, if I would have said all females sound like this, then I would, I would, it would be one thing. But I never said that. Um, but I do feel like I feel like this is just something that um, female artists have been dealing with, and some getting rejected because they're not away, some making it because they are away, right? And I feel like this is something that I just walked into without actually knowing that this conversation was actually being held. And people should know Brett broke a lot of barriers commercially. I mean, it was a success with yeah, that album. Yeah, well, see, Brett broke all the barriers of, of what this conversation is actually about. Um, Brett came out tomboyish, um, not showing skin, not being no heels, um, just, you know, a girl, <laughs> round away girl, basically. And she had super success sending good vibrations from the trunk to the front of your ride where i live that's what they love so that's what i give some foot and boots when they crawl and creep and creep she actually was the first female rapper to have solo female rapper to go platinum so um and i feel like you know that's 85 percent of that is her talent mm-hmm and then the rest is me selling that to people and making sure that people pay attention to that and not not changing her and not making her something else that she wasn't. When you're in the studio with artists, how much is it all what you want to do? Do you allow them to come in and give their input? Because you always, based on that documentary, and I watched it, you, you have a, you in there, you're a maestro, you're the chef, you have the recipe, you're putting it together. 
do you allow a little input from the from the artists? In other words, you, can you work with them? Yeah, that's probably. I mean, that's another reason why um, a lot of the artists are not in this documentary. I know a couple of people ask the question why Jagged Edge wasn't in the documentary. Mm-hmm. The reason why Jagged Edge is not in this piece um, because it's about the songs that I actually write. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, Jagged Edge writes their own. They write their own songs. Um, I'm just a producer. And a lot of these other artists are like that as well um, that I've signed. Um, Anthony Hamilton, Mm -hmm. they write their own lyrics. Um, um, Franchise Boys, Young Bloods, all these people, they write their own music. So, um, And I don't want people to get, because people are so lost and just, they don't pay attention to what they see and they don't listen to what they're hearing, right? So I didn't want people to be like, dang, Jermaine writes all these songs. And then the, the the artists who actually write the songs feel like I'm taking their credit, you know. And I had to have this conversation with Jagged Edge about that because I didn't want, you know, I think they was feeling a little way about not being represented in, mm-hmm. in the, you know, the spots and all of that. And I, like I said, you know, I'm I'm a very fair person when it comes to that. Um, I know what I write. I know what I do. And I do, and I respect what other people do when we go in the studio. Is there an artist that you didn't get a chance to work with that you wanted to work with or have yet to work with? Um, no, nah, I pretty, I mean, I worked with, you know, I was, it's funny because I have, um, somebody was saying this the other day. It was like, Jermaine, you, you probably like one of the only few producers that's ever worked with Jay-Z, Nas and Biggie. Mm-hmm. These three guys are the goats that people call, talk about. Right. And you can add Snoop to that. Like I'm one of, I'm, one of one producers that's worked with that elite group of MCs. Is there an artist that you passed up and then later they they blew up with some success and you're like, oh wait, that's that. <laughs> um, yeah, Ludacris. Ludacris really? used to throw his CD over my gate in my house. <laughs> this is when he was Chris. Yeah, Chris was just Lover, Chris. Lover. Um, in College Park, he used to do that, and I um. I want. I wanted to sign him. I put a. I did a the this thing on Madden, uh, Madden the video game. They mm-hmm. came to me and asked me to do an intro, and they wanted to be animated. And he was making these commercials on the radio, and I used him. I went to him. I'm like, yo, I want you to do this, and I gave him a shot to be on this video game. And me, not understanding what my shots were, right? Mm-hmm. That's another thing. To say like I was just going through the motions, I wasn't paying attention to Jermaine. You got an opportunity. You giving somebody that doesn't even have a record deal an opportunity to be heard by millions of people, and I, I'm not sure it didn't resonate to me. I'm not. I don't know if it resonated to him either. But that should have been the signing. That should have been the signing the deal. It should have been. I'm gonna get you do this. We're gonna put you on Madden. You automatically going on so so death. But I wasn't thinking like that. I just was like, yeah, I'm giving this guy opportunity. He's from Atlanta. He's on the radio. I love his voice. After that Madden thing came out, I came back to my office, which was right here, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I asked him. I asked my office because I was trying to be like. Um, a real CEO where you have like 25, 30 people working for you, you gotta, you got these many people working for you, you gotta try to let them work, right? So bring a question up to all these people and say, yo, what y'all think? And I brought it up to the office and the office was like, nah, you shouldn't sign him. I'm like, oh, 
And I'm like, oh, okay. You the now I see why y'all don't work here no more. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Atlanta because often when we talk about how Atlanta got on the map, people always reference the 95 Source Awards, obviously with Outkast and what Andre had to say. But So So Def was already in the mix even before then. Do you think sometimes you get overlooked when it comes to your contribution to really being that, that foundation for putting Atlanta on the map 100%. for the hip-hop? Yeah, yeah, 100%. How do you deal with that? I don't. I just, I mean, I don't even think about it, but, I mean, it is, if you ask me, I'm going to say 100%. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I'm, I feel like we passed it at this point. Yeah. Um, I can't remake people get into it, but it's it's like this lost in translation world of that, you know, when LaFace came to Atlanta, mm-hmm. people got, their minds got cloudy, not knowing or not acting, acting like they didn't realize or whatever. I was here, I'm here, I'm from Atlanta, you know what I mean? Like, they came to Atlanta. Yeah. You know, and it might be, you know, it might be the money. It might be the fact that they came in the city and they was throwing money around and the money made people blind to the fact of things that was already here. If that's the case, that's it, it, whatever it is, that's what happened. And that's business. Yeah, that's what happened. What have you learned about the business that you, you just really don't like, even though you're still immersed in it? Now, mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that you can get a job in this industry and don't have that much knowledge of music. And I feel like, well, I, I feel like that for a long time, but I feel like the music industry is the only business that will allow people that have poquito <laughs> knowledge. Y'all can laugh if you want to. <laughs> you know, and and they give them great jobs. I feel like it's, you know, it's nothing. Basketballs, football, school, Whatever it is that you want to do, like, you know, even a broadcast system like this is like you have to learn it before you can be the thing. Right. You got to have talent like Rose Scott is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And, 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 and this in the business we in it's so many people that, I, that that have jobs. I have conversations with them and I'm like, how are you the boss? <laughs> Like what? What? You know, and I, I, I actually I won't say hate because it's a bad word, but sure. uh I, I do feel that way. <laughs> and also, Jermaine, let's be really clear, too, because we've talked to artists. And if you your social media following sometimes sometimes dictates whether you get airplay, even if you have that Paquito talent that you mentioned. But people are now looking at well, what does your social media look like? How many followers you got? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just you think back to when you started, you know, were you looking at talent and you looking at people's reaction to talent? Whereas nowadays, people yeah, look they at better, they better be glad that we didn't have social media because you know it would have been in a zone too far to capture, you know. Because you take Crisscross for example, Crisscross was doing what people with millions of followers are getting now mm-hmm. without social media. Just imagine if they had that right. that piece, that other component, along with everything else that was going on, the numbers would have been yeah something crazy well because then back then your social media was that video that you had and yeah. hopefully mtv played it or bet or vh1 that was it and then you had to tour yeah of course it doesn't help that michael jackson puts you in his video too but yeah, um, yeah. i mean they had everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you feel like um with this current landscape in the music industry you you hit makers 
you still feel like there's some some talent out there that that can be groomed the old-fashioned way or do you have to get them out on social media first and let that be your reaction that you talked about before Nah, you i mean you know i i believe one thing i will say is that the music industry never changes you know the people change but the music industry will always operate the same that it's always operated if you have a hit record or if you have a record that you believe in and you have the ability to get it to one person which can then get that song to three people Mm -hmm. that three people can turn into a hundred you just have to stick with it and a lot of times we're in a we're in a microwave era where it's like we want it so fast we don't have time to stick with the three people we want the hundred people off Mm -hmm. the top right and you can always get to the hundred people you just still have to go to that one person first if you find one person that likes the record that one person will translate this to three or five people just one that's all you need you need one person (laughs) as we wrap up jermaine what's the what's the best advice you've ever gotten um that my little record jump is cool but it don't mean nothing until you do it multiple times babyface told me that when i met him he said you know oh you the guy with the little jump record <laughs> i'm sorry to <laughs> laugh jump little jump record that's how you go yeah he's like yeah i was like man and i for a moment i was i went into this young space where i'm like you don't know what you talking about but then i snapped back out of it like that's babyface yeah. Then I went back like I don't know, babyface old. Oh. I snapped back like that's babyface. Yeah. Then I went back like you know how big my record is. And then he then he corrected all that like yeah I know how big it is, but that record don't mean nothing until you can do it multiple times, or you don't mean nothing until you can do it multiple times as a producer. And for me that 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 was the end of my celebration for Jump. Mm-hmm. Because I had done it, you know? Sometimes we get lost in celebrating what we already done. It's done. Once you do it, move on. And that's the best advice I could have ever got because at that point, that's how I looked at everything. As soon as Brat went platinum, boom, I was off to Jagged Edge. Mm -hmm. As soon as Jagged Edge went platinum, I'm off to something else. That's why I continue to keep Mm -hmm. putting out so many records. Then what's your advice, if you could, to the 19-year-old Jermaine Dupree now? What would you tell him? About the journey. Buy up all the property in Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) You used to be next door, man. I should have bought the property. (laughs) Yeah. Jermaine Dupree, first of all, thank you for what you have done. Thank you. For Atlanta. Best of luck. Continued success. If you want to make a new theme song for Closer Look... You know, just just let me know. The door's always open. It's always open. I appreciate it, brother. (laughs) Take care. Jermaine Dupree. Buy up all the real estate. (laughs) So So Deaf was right here. And I remember Gail coming to this studio with a friend of mine. And not knowing, a few years later, I was going to be working at WABE. Probably wouldn't win in the studio. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was a, uh, no, no. Good, good uh, conversation. Yeah.
I knew I wanted to give to WABE the first time I came to the station and I saw that none of the donor dollars were going to design or interiors or anything flash inside. It was just bare bones broadcasting. And I thought, this is, this is a worthwhile investment because everything is going into the news. That was a terrific interview. Yeah, we're not, we not, uh, we, we, we not fancy. We're nice, but we're not fancy. You, know? you get it done. Yeah. You get it done. Yeah. I was, listen, I was happy when we paved the parking lot some years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that happened too. All right. Let's get back to these do- donations now. If you want to have, you have your donation, have more weight behind it. Now is the time. So please take a moment to give right now. Give for your love and appreciation appreciation of WABE and for the value you find in Closer Look and these wonderful interviews from the archives. We are so, so close to being so, so deaf and have such a good response from our (laughs) listener this hour. But what about you? Can you lend a hand? WABE.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. And I want to thank Anonymous from Atlanta and Anonymous from Roswell. We appreciate every dime. Thank you. And we appreciate it as we begin to wrap up. You still got about a minute and 30 seconds left. So, yes, join the public radio superhero universe. Who wrote that? With your gift at WABE.org slash donate or with the call 678-553-9090. And we're wrapping up, but don't worry. You can always donate 24 hours a day. We want you to donate during a closer look, but we appreciate it. Again, 678-553-9090 or online at WABE.org slash donate. And that is it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers, LaShawn Hudson, Daniel, Dan, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And as always, you know what? We have a podcast, too, and weeknights at 7 p.m. So listen, stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Gail O'Neill, thank you so much. You've been hanging out with me all week. I really appreciate it. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.